first time with our church, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Um, and today we are blessed to have Ian Brown uh, preach for us to seek God's word and, and deliver God's word to us. Um, and it's important that you understand, uh, particularly if this is home for you, if you're a member of Anchor Church in particular, if you call this church home, it's really important for you to understand why we do what we do. Uh, it's not just so I can have vacation. In fact, I wasn't on vacation last week, and it's not just so I can't be here on a Sunday because I'm here right now. Uh, but it's important that you see at the core of who we are as a church is Jesus. And Jesus has given us some very important work to do, uh, namely to make disciples and go to the nations. Now, part of that is in that making disciples, Jesus says uh, through his apostles a couple of things. One, through Paul, he's going to say that we need discipleship's about imitating Christ at work in other people. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, not as, as I uh, do whatever I do that's a weird idiosyncrasy of me. And in addition to that, he says, in, uh, and it's great because they all have numbers, 2 Timothy 2 and 22, he says, Timothy, this is Paul again, entrust to faithful men who will entrust to faithful men and this pattern of multi-generational entrusting of the gospel and even the work of the ministry. And, and we are firm believers in Ephesians when it says that the job of the elders is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That means that my job as a pastor, Joe job, Joe's job as a pastor, is not to be the professional pastor people who do the ministry, but to help you be people who make disciples and to walk in the gifting that Jesus has built you to do. And uh, one of those things is our hope and our desire to raise up preachers. We are firm believers in the power of the preached word of God. The name of Jesus proclaims the reality of his death, burial, resurrection, the forgiveness of sin, and the fact that if you are a Christian today, you have new life in Jesus. And it's important that you understand that the point is that I'm not the only person that can communicate that truth or that the elders are the only people that can communicate that truth. And so our hope is to raise up uh, men who can proclaim that good news of Jesus to the church. Um, because ultimately we think the best thing for our city and our world is the planting of new churches, individual autonomous churches. And guess what? If we don't have preachers to do that, you can't plant a church without a preacher. Uh, and so part of our hope is even to raise up men to do that uh, and raise up people who can fulfill that office. Um, and finally, also, we're, we're what are called elder-led congregationalists. Again, especially if this is home for you. Uh, we believe the church has a job to do in the proclaiming of the gospel of the world. To be a member of our church is to take responsibility for this church and this church to take responsibility for you, which means we need to let members like Ian have a voice in the church and specifically dudes who are being trained for uh, things like pastoral ministry. Uh, and so that's why we do what we do. Um, and Ian's come to do that today. And so I would really encourage you, don't just listen, pray for him. Okay, this, this is the real deal. This is, this is what it is to open God's word and preach, and it's a hard deal. And, and he's here to do that for us. And so I'm going to pray for Ian. Uh, we're so pleased to have him. Uh, he's going to preach, and we get to, to receive the gift. So I'm going to pray for you real quick, and I'll let you have it. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and this is your preacher today. Uh, this is your word. You knew when you wrote First Peter through Peter that you would give this text for Ian to deliver to our community today. And so I pray you would fill him with your Holy Spirit. 
that he would exegete the text correctly, that he would stay close to your word and close to the gospel, and that he would proclaim that we have so much life because of the cross, and we have so much life because of the resurrection, and we are people made new by your grace and mercy, Jesus. And I pray that we would leave here more rooted in that reality that we are new and we are yours and we're kingdom people. And I also pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them today through Ian's preaching. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. All right, so quick introduction uh, about myself. I uh, grew up in North Bend, about 30 minutes east of here, um, to wonderful family. Um, I've been now at Anchor for a little over two years, um, and Andrew has approached me uh, about six months ago now about potentially preaching, and I was excited. I mean, I'd communicated with him in the past that I desired to preach God's word um, because it's an overflow of my heart and the work that he's done in me, uh, and just excited about Jesus. Um, so two things you need to know about me. I am a crier, and I'm going to probably cry today. So uh, please show me grace in that, um, and I will, don't worry about me, I'm okay, it's just, I'm just a crier. Two things, the second thing, my wife, bless her heart, thinks I'm funny, um, but I'm really not that funny, so I'll try to stay away from the jokes, but if there is a corny joke, again, please show me grace. So when Andrew asked me about preaching, um, I knew exactly what I wanted to, to preach on, the scripture that I wanted to preach on, the hope that I wanted to preach on, the joy that I wanted to preach on, um, and that's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And in this text, God just shows his faithfulness in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is our inheritance. Um, and so if you'll turn with me there, I would like to read it out loud together. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back table over there. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. You can read it together with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I need to start my timer or else we're not going to get out of here, as Andrew always says. Um, get that going. Okay. So a little background on um, Peter and who he's writing to. Uh, he was a fisherman. Uh, Jesus called him early in his ministry to be an apostle. Uh, he walked with Jesus for a few years there during Jesus' ministry. Uh, he is one who 
Jesus called out of the boat when they were on the Sea of Galilee to walk with him on the water. And Peter did successfully for a minute, um, but he did sink when he doubted. Uh, he also got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus to see his glory, to see Elijah and Moses also. And a uh, funny thing about Peter is I'm sure if you've been here for a while, Andrew's told us that Peter was so amazed, so in awe, he asked if they needed tents set up so they could stay in that. And that just shows uh, just Peter, who he is. Like, he's just a dude. Um, he denies Jesus three times. And on the third time when he realizes that Jesus had foreshadowed this, that uh, he weeps bitterly. Um, but he gets redemption in proclaiming his love to Jesus when he gets to tell Jesus three times um, that he loves him, that he is God. Jesus then changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means uh, boulder, the stone. And Jesus tells him that he's going to build his church uh, by him, by Peter. He travels around then uh, after Jesus dies and is resurrected. And he preaches and many people come to know him. And then he dies as a martyr. He's writing two. Uh, he calls them in, in verse one, he calls them elect exiles. Um, and this shows that they are chosen people of God, that God foreknew them, that they were going to be his, um, but they're living in a land that's currently not their home. And he's writing to both Gentile, to both uh, cultural Greek and Jew, um, that he wants them to be encouraged in Jesus in the midst of various trials that, that he's going to get into detail with. And so my prayer this morning for us is that in the midst of uh, trials, in the midst of whatever junk that we are going through, that we would hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus, um, that we would worship God, that we wouldn't just endure trials, but that we would worship God in the midst of it, uh, rejoicing and proclaiming his goodness, um, and that the gospel isn't, the gospel of Jesus isn't just do more or try harder, that in the midst of these trials, he doesn't tell us to pull, us our, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. He doesn't tell us to do better, to stop, to, to, to fake your worship of him. Uh, he, in Romans 5, he says that the gospel is that at the, while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for us. And so that's my prayer for us today, that as we get going, that we will just see Jesus more clearly in the midst of uh, our various trials. So seven things, I know that's a lot, seven things I want us to walk away from uh, the text with today, and that I believe that Peter was trying to show um, the Jews and the Greeks as well. Uh, one, Blessed be God in all circumstances. He starts in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he finishes in verse 9 uh, about this inexpressible joy um, that's filled with glory. Two, God is great and merciful. He's rich in mercy and that we've been born again to a new life. Three, that we have a living hope that Jesus is alive and reigning uh, in the midst of various trials. Four, that we keep our eyes set on our heavenly inheritance and our eternal salvation. Five, that we are being kept by God, that God is actually the keeper and garter um, of our faith, the guardian of our faith. Six, that we would rejoice with genuine faith in the midst of trials because of this living hope. Um, not that we would be fake or, or, or callous, but that we would be real and raw and rejoice in God and what he's done for us. And seven, uh, sort of overlaps with six, but that you would love Jesus with inexpressible joy. Um, that's my prayer for our church, that we would just be filled with this rejoicing, this joy in God that we can't describe. We're just so in awe of who he is. It's an inexpressible joy. I really, I think living in Seattle, that's sort of interesting for us because uh, we're, we're so 
cold. There's the Seattle chill that we just walk by. We don't say we don't say hi. We don't really even acknowledge people, but that we would just be overflowing with joy and rejoicing in God. All right, so verse 3. We're going to start breaking it down. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians 2, uh, we're going to read through 4 and 9. Uh, I really want to, to communicate this idea that Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now God is, is so rich in mercy that he's caused us to be born again. It's not of our own doing. It's not that we've saved ourselves. It's not that we've done good works. It's not that we've raised a good family. It's not that we have a good job. But it's God being rich in his mercy that he saves us and brings us to himself. Now, this idea of being born again, why do we need to be born again? We're going to stay in Ephesians and do 2.1, 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we need to be born again. If we're not in Christ, if we're not born again, we're following the prince of the power of this air, which it's, it's not Satan in Ephesians, but this idea that we're not of the world, that we're not following the course of this world, that we're not searching for the better job, we're not searching for the, the better car, the nicer clothes, that we need to be born again because in Adam, we broke it. God had created everything good and perfect in the garden, and, and we said, no, it's not good enough. I want more. I want that fruit. I want to know what it's like to be God. I want my comfort. I want my glory. But remember, God is, is rich in mercy. Christ is coming again to restore everything. He's come to bring the kingdom um, previously that we may have joy and peace in him. Now, back in 1 Peter verse 4, or sorry, we're staying in verse 3 here to a living hope, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what is hope? I sort of touched on it, uh, but hope is not be a better person. Hope is not to get a better job. Hope is not to have kids. Hope is not to have a good family. Hope is, is not our comfort to sit on the couch and watch TV on a rainy Saturday. That is, that is not our hope. That is, is not what I want. I don't want, uh, yeah, hope is not to be healthy. Um, Hope is not in our body. It's, 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 it's not in this life. Um, the perfect life, the blood shed, uh, the resurrection, the being born again, uh, Christ ruling and reigning in heaven, that is hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. He is the one whom we set our eyes on. The person of Jesus is our hope. Because of this resurrection from the dead, because Christ raised from the dead by God's power, God raised Christ up, took him out of the tomb, that he's seated at the right hand of God, 
that Christ is alive today, and that's why our hope is living. This is the hope that we were born again to. This is where we set our eyes. If you look down at at verse 13, uh, Peter is going to tell these people that, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, as we're going to get going here down in in, in the passage a little bit, Peter is going to address that these people are going through various trials, that they're not facing physical persecution quite yet, but it's just everyday persecution. It's just everyday suffering of life. And he says, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is so what I desire for us, that in the midst of whatever's going on, that hope that our hope would fully be on the grace that be brought to us at the revelation. Elsewhere, Paul says uh, in Colossians 3, um, if then you have been raised with Christ, if then in, in Christ's resurrection we've been raised, uh, set your hope fully. Uh, actually, he says, uh, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, to show this, this, this hope is, is living. Now we're going to get into uh, eternal inheritance here in verse 4. We've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, what is an inheritance? I mean, I think we all have some idea or hope that uh, when family passes away that they will leave us with something, whether that be money or cars or clothes or antiques or jewelry or, uh, in the case of my family, probably guns. That's what is probably going to get passed down. But Peter says something specific here. He says that this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, if we know one thing, we know that clothes are going to get destroyed. Houses are going to get filled with cockroaches or termites or whatever. The stuff of this life is going to burn. It's going to be no more. But Peter says that our inheritance our inheritance will forever be. He says that it's imperishable, that it's undefiled, that it is unfading. Now, we know that an inheritance is passed by death, that there has to be death to be gift. And so we know that Jesus did die, but he did rise, wrote, he rose again. So that faith, that inheritance is alive. And in Ephesians 1.11, it says, uh, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, this idea of inheritance, we can ask, well, well, what is this eternal inheritance that cannot be destroyed? Hebrews 11, uh, the, the author of Hebrews is, is discussing uh, previous saints that have gone before, whether it be Moses or, or Noah, Abraham. Um, and the author of Hebrews makes it clear that they were desiring something great, something that uh, they weren't actually given on this life. And the author says that we've been given something far greater We've been given Jesus. They they were looking forward to Jesus. This is the old covenant. This is before Christ came. That they were looking forward to the Messiah. They were looking forward to redeemed land, to a a place of no tears, a place flowing with milk and honey. But he says that that our inheritance, that that everything um, that we could think of about our inheritance, it's better than that. And, And he makes it clear that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, is our inheritance. Our inheritance is the person of Jesus who went to the cross to bear our sins, who took our shame, who took the wrath that we deserve. That is our inheritance. The person of Jesus is our inheritance. We're going to continue on in in verse 4. Peter says, kept in heaven for you, and in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, one of these things that I wanted us to walk away from here today is the idea of being kept by God, of being secured by God. He makes it clear that it's through faith, but it's by God's doing. Uh, so it, it's that our faith, it's a gift of God. It's, it's not of our own doing, which I addressed earlier, but that it's, we cannot get to God. Uh, it's that Christ came down to get to us uh, and that we are not alone. This, this word uh, that God is guarding us, it, it means carefully watched. It means kept safe, that God by his power not only saves us, not only, not only takes our shame, but then he doesn't say, all right, you go do the rest. You can fix it. You can, you can make it to the end. He says, no, I'm going to guard you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell within you to be your comforter, to be the guarantor of your faith, that he's going to get you through, that God by his power is getting us through this life. He's keeping us through faith. And, and that, that idea that God is the one who is dwelling and keeping me, that I'm not doing this by getting up early and getting in the word or praying or worshiping him even. It's that God desires to save us and he has saved us and he is the one that's keeping us. And so take heart, whether you're struggling or whether you can't even understand this, but God is always with you. You are always his people if you are in Jesus. He is dwelling within you and he is keeping guard over you. Now verse six, in this you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This is interesting here. Where, uh, what, is, what is this? It's easy to say that this could be the salvation. It's easy to say that this could be um, being born again. It's easy to say that this could be the inheritance. But in this that Peter is calling us to rejoice in is, is everything. It's being born again. It's having a living hope. It's, it's keeping your eye on the internal and the heavenly inheritance. It's being kept by God. It's salvation. It's, it's all these gifts that God's given us, that he's rich in mercy, remember. He's given us everything. And so Peter tells us to rejoice. Rejoice in all of this. Uh, now, I ask you, I mean, what does that do when your soul, when you reflect on everything that God has done for you, that he has saved you? that he has given you life, that he's covered your shame. What, what does that do? This, this word rejoice means to reflect on everything that God's done. A deep spiritual joy in God. And it's, it's not actually used in secular Greek at this time, but it is used in other places in the New Testament, and specifically one that I, I really can't understand is uh, in Luke 1, Mary has just found out that she's, going to give birth to Jesus, that it's confirmed when she goes and uh, visits Elizabeth, who has John the Baptist in her womb, that she is carrying the Messiah. She's carrying her Messiah. She says, uh, she, I guess I got to come back here and read it. She says, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her soul, she's, she's so in awe of what God is doing that her soul magnifies God, that she sees God more clearly, more holy, and she rejoices, she rejoices that she's carrying the Messiah. Uh, I can't even fathom that. Paul, Peter continues on here, and he says, uh, in this you rejoice, in this everything I've done, that God has done for you, you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This is sort of where the rubber meets the road here for the people that Peter is writing to. It's sort of the, all right, now that you know everything that God's done for you, you are going to go through various trials. You know that life is not going to be easy, that life is hard, that stuff hits the fan sometimes. And not only sometimes does stuff hit the fan, the fan falls down on us, that we're crushed, that we go through these trials. But Peter has told us, verses 3 through 5, 1 through 5 even, that we're He's preparing us for this. He's saying, your hope is not in enduring. Your hope is, is everything that God's done for you. If you want to turn with me to, to 1 Peter 3.18, uh, we'll see this as well. I think this is really important because it shows that our, our Messiah is not one, that Christ is not one who's, who's just up in heaven, but that he actually came and he's gone through all this with us. He's a, a high priest that can sympathize with us. 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous him, for the unrighteous us, that he might bring us to God. That's the gospel. I, I can't be any more clear that that is the gospel, that we didn't get to God, but that Christ came, that he suffered the death that we deserve to bring us to God. The gospel is that we get God. John Piper says it all the time, but he says, don't forget the gospel is that we get God, that we have life, that it's not just that we've been uh, cleansed. It's not just that we've uh, deserve death, and now Jesus is our hope in our life, but it's that we get God. Andrew says a lot that, that we have life. It's only half the gospel if we sit in that Jesus has died for us. It's a full gospel when he says, go, live, have new life, and this new life is found in God. That is my point, yes, but I also desire that you see that Christ is uh, a high priest, a faithful high priest who suffered just as we have, that in the midst of, of his suffering, it says in Hebrews that Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, that he did it joyfully. And when we think of uh, rejoicing in various trials, we don't think of various trials as being happy times. We think of it as, as grief and sorrow. Uh, and that's really what Peter is trying to get here to, to, in this text. He says, you've been grieved. You have been filled with much sorrow. Um, we can look elsewhere and see that in the Psalms, David might be bipolar, he probably was bipolar, but the fact that in the midst of grieving, in the midst of, of much pain and strife, um, that David says so many times, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Elsewhere it says that joy will come in the morning. Uh, Jesus in the Beatitudes calls those who are poor in spirit blessed. He calls those who, are, who mourn blessed. Uh, James 1 and 2 James 1, 2 says, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for it is the testing of your faith that develops this perseverance, that you may be perfect and complete. Uh, so, so Peter is saying, trials are going to come, but let us not lose heart. Let us remember the, the hope that God's given us in Jesus. Let us remember the internal, e eternal inheritance, which is Jesus. Let us remember salvation, which is life with Jesus. He continues on in verse 7, so that... So he's going to tell us why. He's going to tell us why do we go through these various trials. This, this so that indicates it's, it, it indicates purpose. It's uh, the Greek word henna that just says, I'm about to tell you why you're going to go through these trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, in verse 7, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So the short answer of these various trials is that it's for God's glory. It is for the reason we go through these is, is, is that we may praise and honor and glory in Jesus when he returns, when he appears. Longer answer. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, the proof of our faith, it's, it's that rubber meat in the road here. The proof of our faith is that not only in the times of great abundance and prosperity, but the times of various trials and sorrow and grief, uh, that we would rejoice in Jesus so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. Our faith is more precious than gold. I can't say it any more clear than that. That if you have Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you know him, your faith is more precious than gold. Cherish that. Rejoice in that. Again, Peter isn't saying that trials are easy. He's not saying that it's, it's all cake. He's not saying that when your health fails you, that when you lose your job, that when you have marital problems, that when uh, your kids reject Jesus, when they reject you, um, that when the, the, the person, the dream person uh, rejects you, uh, when your kids even say that, yeah, they don't, want, they don't want you to love them. It's for God's glory, and it's for you. It's that it's for your perfected faith, that just as this gold is refined, our faith be refined. That our faith be perfect and complete, and that the revelation of Jesus we may praise and worship him. If you turn with me to, to 2 Corinthians 4.16, um, you might know this, uh, C.S. Lewis has sort of made this passage, he has a book by the title of, of it, but it's, C.S. Lewis, Lewis calls it the eternal weight of glory. Um, and so we're going to start in 16 and read all the way through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, though our, though our health is crumbling, though our bodies are failing, our inner self is being renewed day by day by Jesus. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an, etern an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We, we set our eyes day by day. I mean, we, we come here on Sunday, we, we hear the word preached, and then we go. And on Monday, where's our faith? Does the rubber hit the road? Do, do we set our eyes on the work that we need to get done, that our boss may uh, give us praise, that we may get a raise, that um, whatever it may be? Or do we look to the hope that we have in heaven? And that's, I think, really what Peter is trying to, to get to here. Our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Christian, I want you to have that faith. I want me to have that faith. I think that's really what Peter is, is hammering home. That as we, we go from here today, that tomorrow, that when we're in pain, that tomorrow, that when we're alone, that tomorrow, that when we can't get out of bed and we find out that maybe it'd be a family member or something has, has gone terribly awry, that in that moment, as Spurgeon says it, it better than I can, but in that moment, that we would rejoice in God because he is our living hope. That he is, Jesus is sitting, ruling, and reigning. He has given us an eternal inheritance that we do not deserve himself. 
I'm just going to close here with verses 8 and 9. Sort of the, the uh, wrapping up of the passage here is, is Peter started in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father as Peter is in worship. He sort of ends this section in worship. Uh, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you are a Christian, you know this to be true. You know that you love Jesus. You know that you hope in Jesus. You know that you've been born again. You know that you have an eternal inheritance that is stored up, that it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, that is waiting for you. You know that your faith is genuine, and you know that you have a salvation uh, awaiting for you that it is life with Jesus. And, and this is what I was alluding to a minute ago. Spurgeon says this idea of worshiping in the midst of trials, it's, it's beautiful. It says, when grief presses you into the dust, worship there. That's basically the heart of what Peter's getting at. When these various trials come into our lives, when life is hard, when everything hits the fan, worship there. Because God is still God. He still loves you. He's still keeping you. Salvation doesn't change. Our inheritance doesn't change. God is God in the midst of everything. If you are not a Christian, if you are apathetic, if you do not actively love and know Jesus, this is my prayer, that you would invite him, that you would open your hands. He's come to give you life. He's come to give you rest. He's come to give you peace. That is what Jesus says, that I've come to give life. I've come to give peace, not of this world. It is for your joy that you may be born again to a living hope. It is for fullness of life that we might not set our eyes on things that are, uh, are transient, things that are fading, things that will burn, but that we set our, our eyes and our hope in heaven. There is no limit to God's grace, that we have all received grace upon grace. There is no limit. There's an ocean of grace. I, I invite you to, to, to walk into that, to wade into that, that Christ wants you to be covered in his blood. Again, seven things that I pray that we walk away with today. Blessed be God in all circumstances. Blessed be God in all circumstances. God is great in mercy, that his rich mercies cause us to be born again, that he's given us new life in him, new birth. Have a living hope in the midst of trials, in the midst of whatever's going on, that we remain steadfast, looking at Jesus, our hope. That we may keep our eyes, number four, that we may keep our eyes set on the heavenly inheritance, Jesus. That we may keep our eyes set on that eternal salvation. That we know that we're being kept by God. May that give us great encouragement and confidence that the Spirit is one and dwelling within us and God is keeping careful watch over us. Number six, rejoice with genuine faith in the midst of trials because of this living hope and eternal inheritance that leads to the glory of God. Not, not a, a, a whitewashed tomb, that, as Peter would say, or as, as Jesus calls the Pharisees, but that we would have a, a genuine worship of Jesus in the midst of trials, that he would truly be our joy. I so desire that for us. And that you would love Jesus, that we would love Jesus with inexpressible joy, that we would be a people marked with his love, that we would just be so in awe and standing in this deep reflection um, of who God is, that we would just love, love, love everything that he's done for us because he is worthy. I'm going to close in prayer.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we remember all that you have done for us, that you have caused us to be born again, that you have given us a living hope in Jesus, that you have obtained for us a heavenly inheritance and eternal salvation, that you, Jesus, are so rich in mercy, that you, Father, are so rich in mercy, that today, that tomorrow, that uh, in, in the years and months to come, until and when you appear again, may we praise you, may we glorify you, may we honor you, and may we be a people marked with great love for you deep within our souls. Amen.